What's going on, everyone? My name is Chris Tondewald, and this is Ambition Radio. This is a podcast where we try to find people that have found that balance between their life, family, career, and the pursuit of their passions, dreams, or hobbies. In this episode, we feature Josh Schaefer of Lunch Meat VHS, your number one destination for the appreciation, celebration, and preservation of VHS and video store culture. We go into how Lunch Meat started as a zine and the VHS community's growth, releasing the last blockbuster documentary on VHS tape, and how one little color change can greatly increase interest, what future generations will be nostalgic for, and building while dreaming. Josh was great, and I had a really fun time learning more about this community. It was awesome to hear how dedicated and passionate he is about VHS. I'll have all his links in the show notes, and he is always putting more merch up on lunchmeetvhs.com. So make sure to check it out and be a part of the appreciation, celebration, and preservation of all things VHS. As always, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts, follow me on Spotify, and share the show if you can. Thank you for everything. Here's the show. Enjoy. So let's talk about VHS as as a whole, because I I am very interested in this this big resurgence of very niche markets. I know a lot of bands are still putting out audio cassettes, but there is also this huge thing with VHS resurging. And then you were talking about how you're putting the last blockbuster documentary on VHS too, which is really, really cool. Yeah, I just did that. I came out on Thursday and uh, I just put up a hundred copies of it for sale and it sold out in 44 minutes. That's insane. It was incredible. You know, we have a license with, with Blockbuster to do another run, so we're excited to do it, but it was insane. It was really, really wild to see. How did that relationship start? Like, did you just know that that documentary was, was going to be a thing? And you're just like, I can definitely share this whole experience because that's basically going down the aisle and seeing all the, the movie art on those cases is such a like, one experience that I definitely miss for sure. Yeah, well, I mean, it's part of the narrative, right? It's part right. of the whole world. Blockbuster Video is is the icon, you know, because they were the corporate giant, and that was that was the face, the facade that everybody was familiar with. You know, I think they get a lot of uh, flack, and they're kind of maligned because they were the corporate giant that crushed all of the mom and pops, you right. know, with, with their with their rev share model. But I mean, it was part of the narrative, and that's what Lunch Meat does. You know, we, we talk about VHS culture from the very beginning up until now, and we we cultivate that and you know we preserve it. But no, I saw the documentary coming out, and I reached out to the director, and I was like, "Hey, I think this would be a really good fit. I would love to do it," and they agreed, so we did it. That's amazing, and it it just kind of also reminds you that if you just ask, a lot of things can get done. If you're just not like afraid to ask anybody to be like, hey, I do a thing, you do a thing, we could probably make good things together. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really is that simple, you know, and I think it's, it's, it's not as simple as to get a yes all the time. I, I've been doing Lunch Meet for a very long time and established it and have done a lot of different VHS releases, collaborated with a lot of different people and a lot of different artists. But yeah, I mean, that is the, that's the secret is just to go up to people and be like, hey, do you want to make some art? I mean, the, the worst they could do is say no. Right. So yeah, you always take the chance. You always knock on the door. That, that's my whole thing. That's amazing. I, I really like that. So how did, how did this love and fascination with VHS start then? Uh, when I was a kid. So I mean, you know, I grew up watching VHS tapes. Uh, that's how you watched movies. I'm yeah. 35. I'll be 36 in a month. So okay. I mean, I was bo- born in 85. 
so I grew up going to the video store. I grew up buying VHS tapes. That's how you consumed film, you know, is that or like cable. Yeah. <laughs> and then you were yeah. taping those cable shows on, on VHS anyway. So it was, the, it was the prime source of media. So, I mean, it was just always there growing up and that, that's how I watched movies. But I mean, as I got older, I was just like a poor punk kid trying to get more <laughs> weird movies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, VHS tapes were like a dime at the, at the flea market or, you know, people were trying to get rid of them. They were like actual garbage. Like people thought it yeah. was garbage. Yeah. They're like, get this off my table. Please take the whole box, <laughs> you know? And I started to figure out that there was a lot of obscure material and, and cinema that was not on DVD and that only existed on VHS. And okay. there was a lot of aesthetics involved with it. And a lot of, you know, you found a lot of great stuff that way. So that's why I started lunch me just to talk about that kind of stuff. That's, that's really, really cool. Cause for me, I'm 33, so a couple years younger than you, but because I don't think anybody remembers that we knew what time was before internet and before DVDs and before everything else. Mm-hmm. And just seeing like this cyclical nature of it coming back is is really wild. But I've always like jumped to the next media format and I've always tried to like keep up with that because you can learn a little bit more with technology. Hopefully you can have better quality because higher bit rates or storage size or whatever, right? Yeah. So me going through, like definitely seeing those yard sales of just like boxes of VHS, because my my mom was a huge Disney fan when we were younger. So we had all the Disney movies on VHS. And I just remember moving a couple of times and be like, why are we carrying these? We don't need these anymore. I think I think it's over. I can watch it like on a a disc now and <laughs> it's way better. But it's interesting to hear that that gravitation was still there for you. Yeah, I mean, it's still, it's still viable. Throughout all the different formats, I, I, I understand you were saying that you were a punk, but it's, it's crazy because the availability of some of that technology later on made even finding these tapes, I would assume, incredibly difficult too, right? No, not until like recent years. I think like the, the, when DVD and all that was coming around, like I still watch DVDs. Like I didn't watch VHS exclusively. You right. Know? But I mean, VHS was something that I was really, really into and really passionate about. And, you know, whenever I went over to my friend's houses, I'd be bringing VHS tapes. And they're like, Josh, you're still bringing tapes? I'm like, yeah, dude. I mean, these, these movies are cool. You know, and like I said, it was still viable, you know, and people, you'd go to parties and like you'd see a stack of VHS tapes and you'd walk over to it and like, oh, I'm like, what are you doing, Josh? And I'm like, oh, I'm looking through these tapes. These are cool. Like, do you want those, man? And I'm like, yeah, these, <laughs> these are great. You know, so you, you kind of felt like an outcast, but you also felt like you were gaining these incredible treasures, you know, and it was an interesting yeah. talking point. And I never lost the passion for, for movies and, and finding weird stuff. I mean, it's, it's like when you went through your uncle's, you know, cassette collection or something, or, you know, it, like it's, it's that, it's just cool. Yeah. You know, and I, I never, I never took the bait on like, you know, let's, this media is obscure now or like this media is obsolete. Like, haven't we all seen that episode of Twilight Zone? Like you are obsolete. I mean, right. it's just because, just because somebody declares it obsolete does not make it so. And I think if, you know, people like these movies are still viable, you can still watch them. And of course the quality might not be as good, but also there's idiosyncratic aesthetics and, and rituals right. and things involved with the VHS. And I think that'll bring us back around to why it has come back a little bit is because people are filled with nostalgia these days. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely how I feel. I, I, and I also feel like to your point, most people are really, like I was saying, just going on to that next thing and the, that next thing and like forgetting almost like the building blocks that brought us there. 
and the charm and and the the character that some of that stuff has, like what you're saying, you can do so much different stuff with film, the way that it kind of degrades, whether or not you can actually take care of it, that can put in different features of the the film too. So it's it's really cool to to kind of remember that reminisce of of those styles of, of media. I also think maybe the the tactile feel to it, like for me, I remember before the automatic uh, rewind was there, like I had to hold the button the entire time. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. That's some dedication, dude. Right. 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 So like, I, I remember some of that stuff and like just pressing skip on your DVD player does, does not hit the same way as a VCR for me, but just remembering that stuff, like that's, that's really, really cool. I, I, I really like that. Where did you find the community that was around that you've basically built? Like, were there people that you were meeting just randomly that was actually interested in what you were doing? Sure. I mean, you, you know, you, it's, it's like any kind of art, you know, you, you put up a signal and then people respond to it. You know, we started doing the zine and God, it was like 2007, you know, it was a long time ago. So, I mean, it was just like a 22 page zine or something. And it wasn't just VHS at the time that we were talking about like making Twilight Zone peanut butter burgers and action <laughs> figures and stuff and basically about VHS, but there was other stuff. And then it became more focused because that's like, man, this is what we really, really care about. And then we started to connect with people and it just, it kept growing, you know, and to find those people just takes time. Yeah. You know, I think what, how it really exploded was starting to do more live events, you know, doing tape swaps and things like that, starting about like six, seven years ago. And and then the internet, yeah. you know, the internet is, is the ultimate, is the ultimate conduit, the ultimate electrical outlet. Instagram has really done it. And, and having the brand, having the lunch meat brand with the magazine and, and, you know, all the events that I've done and, you know, merchandise and things like that. I mean, it's all a signal, you know, and some people see it and then they walk up to it or, or they want to engage with it or, you know, and then that's always been the point. It's always been the point to, to find people that are like-minded and, and enjoy this stuff and, want to talk about it, you know, because we love talking about it. We love talking tapes and movies. And so, yeah, just, just keep doing it. You know, that's really what, what's, what, how it's done. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's fantastic. So you started this out as a zine. Mm -hmm. So where, where was that idea to actually like publish some of these things and, and show off that, oh, Hey, I like this stuff. I know uh, enough people around me that I can hopefully get more word and more that signal, like what you're talking about for it. Sure. Yeah. So I was working at a record label at the time. I was, I had the dream job, man. I was 19 years old and working for Relapse Records. That's really solid. It's insanely cool. Yeah. I mean, it was a dream come true, you know, and I was, again, it was just me walking into the Relapse Records store on South Street. And I remember looking at my friend Barrett and being like, I'm going to work here, man. <laughs> and he's like, okay, dude. And I got, I still live with my parents at the time. And right. So I called the relapse compound maybe that later that week. And I was like, Hey, are you accepting internships? And they're like, sure. Send over your resume. And so I did. And they accepted my resume and I interned there for a couple months in the mailroom, packing packages and doing whatever they told me to basically just being a minion running around doing everything. Yeah. And I worked really hard. I drove there every day from, from Jersey and I, I worked on my weekend job, you know, getting gas money. Drew Jurgens, who was the head of mail order at that time, mm-hmm. offered me, offered me a job. And I started packing packages for money. And I actually got enough money that I could move in with a couple other punk rockers in South Philly. And I was living in 19 years old, you know, in like a, not a punk house per se, but like, you know, a house with some punk people yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and working at a record label. So I was working there 
And I was very inspired all the time. And I started to do some writing for ReSound, which okay. was their, their print catalog, which showed, yeah. yeah, I don't know if you remember that or if anybody else does, but it was a print catalog with interviews with our bands and showed everything that we carried in the mail order. So I was doing some writing for that. And I decided that we should start carrying horror movies. So we started talking to you know some distributors and stuff and that came in. So I started to, re- with my friend Ted, started to review the horror movies that were in there. That was on disc, of course. But we were like, man. And then I started my own record label at some point with my friend Ben. So I was, I was doing that. And I was just kind of just being creative and making stuff. And I was like talking to Ted one day and we're like, man, we should just make our own little zine about VHS tapes. Because what we would do, we would talk about all these weird VHS tapes. Right. And um, so that's how it started. That's, that's insane. Okay. So you have, you have the, the experience with the, the record label mm-hmm. and then you're making your own at, at some point too. Mm-hmm. So when you were doing that zine, were you thinking about it as like a business standpoint or just another creative outlet for you? No, never a business. I mean, it was, it was always just like a creative thing. Like, you know, I don't know if people start bands or, or start painting to be like, I'm going to pay for my life with this. You know, it's just, <laughs> it was never that ever. It was just like, this is what I'm passionate about. I love coming home and watching movies and writing about them and making a product and like making like something cool that you could like go up to your friends, and be like, yo, check out this thing I just did. What, what do you think? Like, oh man, cool. Yeah. Did you see this movie? You should read about it. Like just that general info share and that connection and, and you know, just that, I don't know, just feel goods, man. Yeah. That sense of community in there, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's always the the nice thing, and the the internet has opened that up. I would say an infinite amount mm-hmm. to where you can really like connect with people from all corners of the world and share that same niche that you like. That's really interesting too, because we're we're talking about an older media format and using the the most recent technology to try to get that word out there from what you're kind of touching on, right? Yeah, it's a little ironic, I guess, but I, I mean, it's 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 the future. It is now, and I mean, we're looking to the past because, like I said, I mean, I, that stuff is still viable. I mean, like if you wanted to watch, you know, any like you want to watch Angus or you want to watch like Billy Madison or you want to watch Nightmare on Elm Street or Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I mean, watching that on VHS, that's how so many people first saw it, you know, and that's the experience, you know, and and now people watch you know, they, they stream through Shudder or Amazon or, yeah. or what have you. And there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, like, of course, that's the way we live. A lot of people live their lives, but it was just a different experience. It's just like how people listen to cassettes or records or how people, you know, like to go on wooden roller coasters, you know, and things like that. It's right. just, it's, it's a nostalgia factor. And, but there's also history and, and value and precedence involved in all that, you know? And I think that's what I am still very passionate about is how that coheres and how it's how it informs what we do now. Do you feel like you're more of like a historical catalog almost now as far as like trying to preserve some of this stuff? Yeah, I mean I think there's history involved. I also think that, you know, the magazine is is very history based. You okay. know, it's a lot of interviews with actors, directors, reviews, things like that. Uh, and the website is very now based. It's also his, we have history pieces on there too, but it's very like what's happening in the culture now. What are people doing? What, what video stars are still kicking and rocking and, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's definitely, it, it encompasses everything, you know, because it, it, I want it to be the, the, the way that we kind of cohere what the history of VHS is and what the future of VHS is, you know, and how that, what that means. Yeah. Yeah. Which I'm, I'm definitely interested in because that, 
I would like to see what it could turn into based off of just the the community that's around you now. Because when you also find these these niches, the the communities are a lot more vocal. They feel like they're more dedicated, and that's that's me looking on the outside in for most of it. But that's what it's always felt like. Where if you're 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 finding this one like specific band, and now you can't shut up about it. Same thing with like the the love of VHS. Like you you want to be able to like show movies everything you want to be able to do that with with everybody and like the the internet had definitely helped that out i remember going through chat rooms and and stuff like that talking about all the the different bands that i was trying to get into find a history of because when i was like 16 17 all the the punk bands that i was listening to at the time i was trying to find like the roots of them right so like the the 77 first wave stuff and going through there. So that idea of almost bridging generations too, I think is is really cool. Do you find that with that community that you have, that that generation gap is is closed too? It's different. I see all kinds of different inclinations and 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 different things. You know, I see people that are just really interested in bootleg stuff. Like there's people making a lot of bootleg things. They're putting new movies on VHS and not licensing them, but making really cool artistic things and sharing them within groups. You know, I see that kind of stuff. And then I see people like me and, and my, my other colleagues, like actually going and licensing things and, and, and doing it that way. Right. And then I also see people just like interested in, yeah, the history, like what is this label? Who, what, what is this label put out? How many, how many releases do they have? Who is that? What is this director? And he, they're, you know, highly distributed on VHS. They were direct to video a lot, you know, things like that. I think it, it takes all kinds. And now I also see a lot of people going after found footage stuff. And by that, I mean old recordings of stuff that was never meant for commercial distribution. Okay. So like people doing, you remember those, those like you would go to Great Adventure and there was like those karaoke huts that you would do with your friends. Sure. Yeah. 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 yeah like stuff like that. I love that stuff. I love finding that. And I think there's a lot of people that are getting into that now. And, you know, there's outlets for that all over the place. And I think there is just so much material on VHS and so much culture and so many things on VHS that it is truly endless to find what you really love about it. You know, if it's just that nostalgia of pushing 101 Dalmatians into your VCR and showing your kid, you're showing your kid that the way that you saw it or finding the most obscure shot on video movie out of Minnesota that nobody's ever seen being able to share that regional film with somebody and say, Hey, here's a piece, here's a piece of independent filmmaking that nobody's talking about but was essential to the time. Yeah. You know, even though it's, it's, it's like beyond obscure. So, I mean, the spectrum is, is crazy. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. So even that found footage stuff that you're talking about. So people are splicing that together and doing full like cuts of that too. Absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, there's uh, my buddies do this thing called found footage fest. Okay. Yeah. And they're, they're pretty famous. Shout out to those dudes. I did a tour with them. They do crazy stuff. They do great. They're, they're comedians okay. and they take really wacky VHS footage, you know, from people like sewing with Nancy to like, you know, old commercials captured on VHS That's and, they, amazing. and they do comedy over top of it. Yeah. It's really funny. I've been on their show a few times. Like I said, I did a tour with them. They're really funny dudes and they're, they're very seasoned professionals when it comes to comedy. They're very funny gentlemen. They are, are cool people and they, they are real fans. So it's cool. Yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. So you were talking about how, so we, we started with the, the zine and we were doing 
a bunch of different categories. And then we eventually whittled down to VHS for the, the most part, right? Mm-hmm. Where was that shift in your mind for that or for the, the people that are around you helping you with it? I guess the second issue, like the first issue is always the one you're trying to find your footing, right? Like the first demo. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe you were a ska band right. for, your, for your first demo. And then you like your, <laughs> your horn section was like they moved away or something. You know, you find what you want yeah. to talk about. And I think it's just finding your voice. And like, man, I look back at the first few issues of Lunch Meet and my, my writing is atrocious. And, you know, <laughs> we say really like inappropriate things sometimes. And like, it's growing pains for sure. But no, you just learn what you like to talk about and like what your focus is and you know all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I think the second or third issue we were pretty pretty solid. Did you have an idea of where you wanted to take it and and grow with it? <laughs> <laughs> no, man. Honestly, I never really like thought about it way too hard. I was just making stuff and I was just chasing my passion. And I was like, man, I just love this stuff and I love talking about it and I love the the people that I was meeting, you know, and 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 connecting with people and. And, you know, I've made some of my best friends doing it, you know, just like you do with any other kind of art. No, only until very recently, I would say August of 2020 is when I really started to really monetize lunch meat and think about it as a business. Yeah. With VHS, like you, or the, the lunch meat, like you've been able to, to touch multiple people all around the country with those different tours then, right? Yeah, sure. And I mean, I, I think, you know, it's, it was just one tour that I did with, with when I was working for Alamo, I was running their video store called Video Vortex. And I released a book with my friend, Jackie Lawrence called Stuck on VHS, Visual History of Video Store Stickers. It was a book that we put together and, and Alamo released, Mondo released, and it was wonderful. I got to tour on it. It got cut short because of COVID. Okay. You know, I did get to travel to a few cities with, with found footage and you know, I do, I do shows. I was doing shows in New York and, and stuff like that long time ago. They were just single, single shows in like small, like punk rock theaters, like Spectacle Theater and Nighthawk and, you know, and, you know, things like that, Super Chief Gallery and stuff like that. Right. But no, to answer your question, I mean, that, that's where happened last two, I don't know, I mean, uh, what year is it anymore? I don't right. know. Right. <laughs> we, we, we like lost a year. <laughs> that's, that's definitely how I feel for sure. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. But no, it really all started with me starting to do shows with okay. my friend, Matt, Matt Desiderio in New York. He has a brand called Horror Boobs. And he, yeah, he has a zine called Blood Video and he is a label and, you know, a force in the VHS community. He's a, he's a legendary VHS collector. We just, we just did a toy together, that Mondo release called Tape Man, oh, Tape Man Bendy. so cool. All right. Yeah. So no, it really started with going up there and he was like, Hey, you want to show a movie? You know, it'll give you a night up here in New York. And I was like, I'd get on the bus and I'd bring some magazines and stickers and t-shirts and tapes and go up there and just show a movie. And it started with that. And it's just grown. You know, the shows got bigger and you have get bigger crowds and, you know, over the years and you just continue to make stuff, t-shirts, magazines, you know, I started to release VHS tapes, first public domain films. And then I started working with independent artists and then I started licensing. So it just kept growing. That's Fantastic. So those shows, we're, we're just showing movies, talking about them. And then I think you were also saying mm-hmm. VHS swaps, like tape swaps too, right? Yeah, we would, we would start to include those later on. Like you would come to a bar in New York or in Philly and you would have tables set up with people distributing VHS tapes. It's basically like a yard sale, but it's, it's VHS focused, right? Right. And then you would do that for a few hours and then we'd watch a movie at the end of the night, you know, and that's pretty much what it was. And then a big event was severed in okay. Stroudsburg, Pennsylvania. My friend Earl Kessler, Earl Kess is his name. 
you know, do this thing called Severed. And it started as a short film festival, but then he started to do the Horror VHS Collectors Unite swap. Horror VHS Collectors Unite is a Facebook group. Okay. I mean, it's like 15, 20,000 people at this point. So it's crazy. It's wild. Yeah. You know, we would do that and have the swaps and then we would show the short films and then we would have guests and show feature films and, you know, people would come out and buy tapes and we would talk tapes and it would just, the culture would just continue to, to, to grow. Were you ever surprised at the, like the feedback that you were getting? Cause it, it sounds like it, it almost kind of like grew exponentially naturally too. That always would throw me off if I had like actual random people being like showing up to one of my events and being like, how did you even find out about this? This is really cool. I didn't even know people were into it. Always pleasantly surprised. I think you're always surprised when you, when you see a, a nice gathering of people or you see enthusiasm, you know, echoed back to you. It's wonderful. I don't know. I mean, yeah, you get surprised. You're, you know, when people are like, hey, man, I love lunch. Meat. I love what you're doing. And you're like, oh, wow, great. Like, thank you so much. <laughs> you know, and you're kind of just sitting there drinking a beer behind your table. You know what I mean? And, and that connection is really what makes it so special. You know, and now it's just like you said, exponential. Yeah. And I, I, think, it, I think everybody's using that word because the VHS culture has truly, I've always seen the, the crest of it rising. And now it's, it's just, it's an absolute tsunami. It's exploding. And I think, it's funny, like you, you, I've been doing it since 2007, right? Like, and Lunchbeat's mm-hmm. been around for a long time. Then you get on the internet and it's like, you know, people, I say, I'll comment on something and they're like, who's this guy? And you know, people, <laughs> like, people are like, whoa, dude, hold on. You know, and I get, I get some friends backing me up, but it's, it's like, nobody knows. You know, people are walking into it like a year ago or two months ago. Yeah. And, and all of a sudden they want the tapes. And that's great. I love that. And I didn't mean it in that way. I just, I just meant like, you know, it's, it's, people are very new to it and they don't know the history, you know, and they don't know how long it's been going on, you know, and I think that the culture has just exploded, like I said, and, you know, I think, you know, it's, it's some of that, like the things that go wrong or whatever is just an unfortunate byproduct of cultural expansion. You know, when the party gets bigger, there's more people there and more things can happen. And, you know, it's like the party scene in, in your favorite, right. like, you know, late nineties teen movie. It's like, who invited these people? What's going on? Who brought the goat? You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 And then you just find it on the roof somehow. Yeah. Exactly. That- <laughs> yeah. The goat's on the roof now. That's where the VHS culture is. The goat's on the roof. That's that's fantastic. So I would I would also think that with with the internet, that really opened up everything for you guys and you're able to actually like connect with all these different people. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised at the reception online too? Because I would think it would it would just almost like pop out of nowhere for it. Yeah. I mean, like you, you look at your followers like run up, you know, like I remember when I had like 800 followers yeah. on Instagram. But then you see other people doing VHS stuff and they have like 60,000 or 80,000, you know, and I'm, I don't really, I don't use social media to validate my work, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm saying nobody should. And I'm, right. I, I would highly right. recommend that nobody do that. <laughs> But you see, they have more visibility, right? Yeah. So that's all it means and that people are seeing that. It's just what people gravitate towards because I cover a lot of obscure stuff too. You know, and I see, the, I see the, the metadata and the feedback and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, people want stuff that they're familiar with. If I post a movie, you know, from 1983 that nobody's ever heard of, but then somebody's like posting a new VHS of The Lighthouse, like people are going to be like more receptive right. to that right. because they know what it is. There's different levels of all of it. But no, to answer your question, yeah, I'm always surprised. I'm always VH surprised, man. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's always happening. You know, it's always growing and I'm always really, really pleasantly surprised about how people receive it. 
I, I don't think I would be upset watching The Lighthouse on VHS just because of the, the way that that was filmed and looked in the aspect ratio mm-hmm. already. And just like the different, the black and white, but the different structures with that. I think that would be cool. But do you, so do you ever think about, okay, I know, I know this would sell, right? This would pop. This would have a good reaction to people. But you have possibly that balance of this is still what I'm passionate about, so I'm still going to push whatever I want to. I make stuff that I would purchase. Yeah, okay. That's the, that's the, that's the law that I give myself. You know, that's, that is, would I, would I want this? And I mean, you know, you, I get opportunities rolling across my desk a lot for, for certain movies. Like, one, like, you know, people come to me wanting to put their movie on VHS, you know, and it has to make sense to me. Right. You know, and, and like, it's like, would I purchase this? Does this seem right to me? Like putting Midsummer on VHS like makes sense for VCR World doesn't make sense for me like I guess it does but I mean that's not you know I don't know it, it depends it, it's really about like would I want to purchase this you know like I I try to make stuff that that I like but also not to be totally self absorbed you also want to look at what people want too right you know and you, and you try to take you try to take those two worlds and mesh them together and that becomes your brand you know what I mean like your values mixed with what people what will make people's lives easier better or more fun. Yeah, and I really, really like that. Just as long as you kind of keep true to yourself, I think that's probably the, the way to to do it. Yeah, that's the bottom line for sure. Yeah, and that that sounds like you have it dialed in, which is which is great. Now, when you were first seeing like the the people around you, how were you able to connect with those other kind of like other partners that you basically developed over time? Was it just in your geographic region, or were you looking online always? for like a different community to kind of join in and show your stuff to. Yeah, it was basically, it was just in Philly at first. And right. then I, I would go, I uh, connected with, I can't even remember how I, oh, conventions. I met Matt at a convention Okay. in Philly. It was in Cherry Hill. I forget about conventions. They were in the before times. They were in the before times. Yeah. So I would meet people at conventions and I would just walk around with like a book bag with, with lunch because I couldn't afford a table at that time. So I would right. just have Lunch Street magazines and Word of mouth is really powerful, especially in that circle. And it started to happen. And then when Earl started Harvey VHS Collectors Unite, that was a huge thing. That was a huge thing. Because that was like where people were like, oh, well, yeah. And then you meet a lot of people that are crazy about VHS tapes, you know, because there's people that it still happens. I mean, there's still people that look at the internet, but they don't engage. Right. right? What do they call it? Lurking or whatever? Yeah. Because now you have, as I run running it as a business, you see people that constantly comment, constantly like, constantly engage. But then you see people that don't engage whatsoever. And they're the ones like, they just want, they want cool stuff. You know, they want to buy tapes. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And, and they don't post it for, for likes or whatever. They're like, I get it. And they'd watch it and they love it. But to answer your question, yeah, it started with conventions. Okay. And then Harvey VHS Collectors Unite on Facebook was a huge thing. And then Instagram. I think those are three huge factors. And so live shows and then social media. But yeah, I mean, word of mouth too, just talking to people on the phone, I would have phone conversations with people like you would meet them and be like, hey man, I want you to call my buddy and talk to them. And like, I know that sounds crazy now. Yeah, it's it does. Like, no, <laughs> no, you would just be like, yeah, I'll call you on the weekend or something, you know? And you know, you would, you would talk to people about VHS and how they want to do a show with you and you know, these kind of things. So yeah, so that, that's really cool. But it, it, it sounds crazy that you would just call up a random stranger to, to talk to them or, or whatever, but that's what podcasts are. Is it crazy are. to send a, a so, total stranger an Instagram message and say, hey, be on my show? It's like, exactly, it's, it's almost exactly. the same thing. Yeah. You yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. No, that's, that's fantastic. So it's, it's definitely, you know, the, 
the conversation of there and also just like not being afraid to to do it. Like that's that's also really, really cool. So the the convention circuit, these were mostly just the the horror film conventions, or were you going to pretty much all pop ones and, and just trying to talk to people and connect with people that way? It was just it was just monster mania okay. and like uh, stuff like that. It was just horror movie conventions, mainly. You know, I, I would really want to go to those. I've only been to the like the comic cons, but I just want like more gore and more the other the actual the horror stuff that I like. There's plenty of it there, man. It's an avalanche of it over there. Yeah, very very cool. All right, so the the treatment of of, of it as like a business and like monetizing that was still pretty recent. So that's. That's cool. So we, with with that that kind of idea of this is something that you're passionate about that you can actually structure a future around too. Mm-hmm. Was that a conscious thought for you, or was that just something that you're like, oh yeah, people still want this stuff, so I just want to be able to create stuff that they want. I just saw an open door and I walked through it. You know what happened was I was I was just trying to produce some shorts for the summer. Okay. Like I wanted to make some, some VHS's happiness shorts and some other shorts to sell on my site, you know, which is totally still a hobby at this point, you know, because I was working a, a VHS oriented job at that point. I was working for Alamo draft house, running mm-hmm. their, their video store, video vortex, which is now shut down. But I was there for two years. I built that video store for them and with, with, a, with a great team. It wasn't just me, you know, I was doing that. And then all of a sudden that shut down and I was like, well, Let's see. And I was like, I got to make some more merch, maybe make a little hustle on the side, you know? And I hit up a place in New York to do the printing because my buddy was using them. Okay. And they were like, what's your story, man? Like, what are you doing? You just trying to print some shorts or what? And I was like, yeah. And they're like, all right, well, can we, can we hop on a call? And I was like, sure. <laughs> so I hopped on a call and they were like, look, man, we really like your brand. We like what you're doing. We want to know if, if, if you want us to distribute you. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah, can we distribute you? You know, and this is what we do. And I was like, let me think about it. And I thought about it for a couple of days, you know, and I was like, this is the opportunity I need because I was getting, everybody's getting hit by the pandemic and yeah. you know, my website, my website at that point was super old. My website was like from 2011 and it was like, <laughs> it was bad. Like it was yeah. not a good website, you know? Yeah. It's just, you know, cause I'm, I'm, I don't know. I do VHS stuff. Right. Know, you know, websites, but I have physical media. I don't, I don't need yeah, what's on the internet. Exactly. <laughs> So I got the new distribution and, you know, I have the opportunity to, to do more apparel and, and things like that. And also it takes, cause you got to understand when I did a release, it would be me in my house, just packing everything up for yeah. five days. You know what I mean? I would go to work and then come home and pack everything up and go to the post office on my lunch break and things, but being able to have a distribution and, and, and kind of take that, that leap is it frees you up to do a lot more different things. Why I'm, I'm able to release more things and, and do bigger projects cause I have the headspace for it. That's got to have been a, a big relief for you, not having to balance your actual work that you were doing, plus all the shipping, plus everything else. Like, did you even have time for yourself after any of that? Sure. I mean, I made time for myself. I think you got to make time for yourself. I mean, I think it's really important to not burn out and stay healthy. But I mean, I, you got to understand. I mean, I love doing lunch meat. Like, it's, it's my passion. <laughs> right. You right. know, so you know, when I'm home working on writing or, or working on artwork for a project or, you know, having conversations with people, you know, about projects, it's, it feels like work sometimes, but most of the time it just feels like this is what I love to do. Yeah. But yeah, sure. I mean, I go over and hang out with friends and, you know, well, what do we do? You know, like eat snacks and party. <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, of course, you know, go on dates. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Not, not anymore. But right. No, yeah. <laughs> Well, you can do Zoom dates, I think. I think that's a thing. Uh, I think we're on a Zoom date right yeah. now. So. 
Yeah. I, I like that. But I, I know like for me personally, I, I always ran myself ragged a lot. Like when I was doing local concerts for the longest time and then even doing this show, I, I find myself like any kind of free time dedicating it to my passion project for the most part. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and that did like bounce other people out of my life and, and for better or for worse at that point. But my, my whole goal was to leave work and do whatever else that I wanted to do. And that, that can burn you out. So being able to like balance that out, I feel like is, is a really great thing. And if you're handed into so many different pots, and being able to to actually still find time for yourself, I think that's an actually good thing. And it, some people that struggle with that, me for sure. I mean, I did. I mean, I struggled with it for a while, doing creative things for a long time, you know, 15, 20 years. You know, I think it, the reason I'm talking to you right now is because I was playing in a pop punk band when I was like 16. Yeah. You know, my friend Adrian was, we were playing in bands. I, I remember doing a demo over the phone to Adrian with my old band and being like, Hey, can we play with you guys? So it's funny how things just kind of come full circle. That's you know? amazing. So shout out, shout out to Adrian for, for recommending me. Thanks bro. You will. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you, you, you start to learn that you will get burnt out and you will lose friends and you'll lose time with people, you know, yeah. and you, you, you lose patience with people and you lose patience with yourself, you know? And I think it's, I think it's really important to remember that, you know, what you do isn't necessarily who you are, but it's a huge part of it. Right. You know what I mean? And I think it's, it's creating time for yourself and it's a, it's a, it's a hard road to navigate. I mean, like I said, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say I had to figure it out the whole time. I mean, I definitely struggled with, with working on things all the time, but also I was really happy because it was what I was passionate about and I saw cool things happening. You know what I mean? And I think sometimes you really do have to just just dive right into it and, and, and envelop yourself with what you're doing and, and just be totally immersed in it. But also like, you know, years later you realize like, Hey, sometimes you just want to sit on the couch and like, eat corn <laughs> chips and like, that's okay. Yeah. Especially with like the really hectic, stressful word, wor- world that we live in. I mean, it's good to keep yourself occupied. It's good to stay productive, but it's also good to give your body and mind a chance to relax and chill and not to put so much pressure on yourself all the time because you will crack for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. I know what I found over time. You're you you almost like just completely run out of steam all the way through, and like your body will will catch you every once in a while if you're if you're doing it too much. So it'll be like, hey, we need to go take a nap. You need to stop, <laughs> of course. <laughs> and your mind yeah. doesn't want to stop because it always has different ideas, different ways that you can express yourself, and different things that you want to try to do. For some people, I think they can rein it in. For other people, they can continue with that passion and do it in a balanced way too. Sometimes it consumes them a little bit and then you just don't see them for a little bit unless you're at like an event or something. So I think it's, I think it's important to be able to kind of grow and know that over time because once it, your body is saying, hey, stop, you're doing too much, it's almost too late sometimes. Like you just go take a sleep. It'll be all right. Yeah, and it's learning from that, right? It's being able to keep that balance. And like, you know, I, look, I'm all for people that are like, oh, I'm dedicated. I do it all the time. But I mean, it's just self-care. You know what I mean? That's all it is. And it's not, it's not a statement on how dedicated you are to your art or like how passionate you are or anything. It's more about like self-preservation, you know, and knowing whatever works best for you to be productive, that's what you should do. But I also think that you should keep it in mind and be like cognizant and self-aware 
of, of like what your health is looking like. You know, I think it, a lot of artists are, are constantly asking themselves, is this good enough? Am I doing enough? Right. You know what I mean? Like, is, is this good enough? You know, and I think a lot of artists that I know struggle with that. And you get into places where you just don't do anything because you're too scared to move. Yeah. And, you know, that happens and that's burnout. That's a symptom of burnout too, you know, and it's a very difficult thing to navigate, but I, I, you know, I definitely take my time to myself and, you know, but it's cool because it also like folds into what I do. Like I'll watch a movie and, you know, eat some pizza or like, you know, have a healthy dinner. You know what I mean? Like do good things or just, just talk with friends, call them on the phone. Yeah. Like just general basic stuff. Yeah. That's, that's, I feel like that's probably pretty hard for some people with the pandemic, not being able to like see people and, and talk to them the way that they used to. All of that has definitely changed for sure. But you know, that self-care is important and I'm, I'm glad that that's part of it. Like what you said, there's so many people that can kind of get consumed by it and not feeling good about your own work. That's, that's a, a rough thing to, to kind of, to go with. Did you ever experience that with any of your, your writing and the, the stuff that you're putting out? They are just like, this is not good enough. I don't want to release this. Or did were were you able to actually like say, okay, whatever, this is going to go out? Yeah, I mean, uh, man, I look back I, even with my summer writing to this day. I mean, being a writer <laughs> is really difficult, you know. And it's, I think I've been writing long enough that I know my voice. But you know, yeah. if you get out of if you don't write for like a week, you're like, oh, where am I at? Where am I at? What am I doing? like? How right. do I do this? And then you you find your confidence again and. And some people might not like this analogy, but I grew up playing sports, you know? So I think like you have good games and you have bad games. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like, it's like you go in and you have a good painting or a bad painting or not as good painting or a good piece and a not as good piece. But as far as like producing things like VHS tapes or shirts or posters or things like that, you have a basic QC checklist that I do. Okay. It's very important for me to put out quality things that are sound and I think that's what makes it's it's part of what represents your brand and your art is that you're you're putting out things that are high caliber, you know, and you don't settle for less, and that's the best that you can do. You know what I mean? I think I, I always make sure that what I'm putting out there is the absolute best that I can do, you know, circumstances given, et cetera. You know, but I mean, I think it's you practice your craft a lot and you know what you're capable of. And if it's hitting that mark, great. If it's not, fix it, you know, and, yeah. and, and if if you can. I mean, I look back at some of the writing I did, you know, even like three years ago and I'm like, oh God, <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. I mean, that happens. I'm sure, you know, years from now, I'll look back at some of the stuff I'm doing now and I'll be like, oh, this could have been better or this could have been better. And, I mean, that's just part of growing. Yeah. I, I have to edit all my episodes. So I, I know how many times I mess up and how bad it sounds. So that that's good for me. Just self-critique all the way through while I'm actually listening to it. Yeah. Was that idea of that, that, standard of quality for you? Was that even prevalent when you were doing your own record label? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I think it, you know, I was putting out records with my friend Ben Harris. It's called Aesthetic Records. We only did like three or four records, but, okay. you know, we were working for Relapse. So they put a lot, really great vinyl. And, you know, I was friends with a bunch of people who had their own labels too. And it was, it was all about putting out a really like sweet record. Like, yeah. you know, does it look great? Are the colors cool? Like is the the gatefold jacket like is it is it a good quality? Because I mean you want you want to make quality stuff. You want people to you want people to be impressed by it. You want people like to get that record or get that magazine or get that T-shirt and be like, oh, this is really nice. That's what I want. Yeah. If you purchase something from a company and you're like, oh, this is just okay, it's like, do you want to go back and support them? <laughs> I mean, I can get this at Walmart. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, that sort of thing. So, I mean, no, but like that standard of quality is just from, I guess it's also inherent in my personality too. Like, you know, you just want like, you, you want, I mean, some stuff I want low budget, like hot dog stands, like, cool, I don't care. You know, like if you want, you want like a low budget hot dog, that's just cool. <laughs> it's just meat packed in it. It's fine. Yeah, sure. You put a little fake cheese on top, you're good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm not expecting too much, but no, but when I create art, I want it to be delivered in a package that is true to, to the message. You just want to make high quality stuff because that's what, what people respond to. You know, I mean, that's what I respond to. And like, again, it comes back to that law that I set for myself is that I create stuff that I would want, you know, and, and also folding in what people want and like what, what people respond to or like, you know, what I think respond to. Yeah. I, I really like that when, when you were kind of describing the going through like the, the jacket of the, the record and all that stuff, the only thing that I could think of is, you know, you, you have more memories of something and you're attached to more to something when you can actually hold it in your hands more. Absolutely. Look at it and open it and and see it for yourself. The dedication and like the the attention to detail that that is portrayed in almost like every crease. So that I would also think is like a, a big thing that people kind of gravitate towards when they're talking about vinyl and then also tape, right? Absolutely. But I mean that's part of why when we started lunch meet that it was really important that we do physical magazines because there's a tactile aspect to it. There's an interaction aspect to it. You think about it, like you go on your phone and you flip through Instagram or you flip through whatever apps you like, TikTok, things like that. Like at the end of the day, how much of that do you really remember? Right. And, but if you go through a stack of VHS tapes at a friend's house, how much of that do you remember? And like, what's the, what's the connection of that? You know, and what's the connection that we're losing when we move away from the physical media? Aside from the appreciation of the physical art, holding it in your hand, things like that, what else are we losing? What memories, how does your brain react to that? You know, and I think we're all still learning about that because the internet is still a fairly new beast. Yeah. You know, and, and we're all looking at cell phone addiction now and all this other kind of stuff. And it's, it, there's a lot of things that we haven't figured out yet. You know, and I think just to, you know, boomerang back, it's, yeah, you, you have physical sensations when you physically you know, it makes your mind and your body react differently. And that's why it's important for us to keep making physical tapes and physical media is because it's, it's part of the inherent essence of what we're trying to preserve, protect, and, and celebrate. Yeah, I, I think that's fantastic. Because you can almost remember like everything, like you remember the whole moment when you can like touch, see, and smell something. Mm-hmm. So, and that memory that's attached to it is such a big thing where it'll just hit more emotionally. And then you're able to connect with it on a bigger level and then that community around you just grows and grows because they all people share a lot of the same experiences. So that's that's beautiful. I, I really like that. Do you do you consciously think about any of that with the art that you make too? For sure. Okay. Yeah, I mean it's the ess- it's the essence of of the creative process. You know, it's like when I did that blockbuster tape. Like I was talking to my colleague that does all my dubbing of the tapes, all the mm-hmm. duplication. I'm like, let's make some like yellow and blue ones. Like, let's just switch out the top and that'll be cool. And then people went crazy over them. You know what I mean? Just because they're two-tone. Yeah. But it's, you're essentially just changing out the top flaps, you know? Right. I don't know if people think about that or what, but I mean, I'm thinking about it because I know what it presents as. You know what I mean? And I I know what it looks like, but it's really just like thinking uh, outside the box. I don't know. It's stuff like that. It's like adding a membership card with, right. With when when you do stuff, you know, and and people just, they're details, you know, it's thoughtful. It nails it nails the aesthetic or the essence of something. I just like that that little tweak is what like people will like freak out over sometimes. 
For sure. I mean, like when you buy that Converge record, you want that rare color, right? You want yeah, that, like yeah. when, when you buy You Fail Me, you want that clear with the red right. and black splatter. You don't want the plain black, dude. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. When some people want the 180 gram because they're, you know, audiophiles, but but when they start doing, you know, 180 gram in the clear with the black and red splatter, you're like, this is it. Like, I yeah, need this. Yeah, that's, you know, that's my whole you know life. Yeah, I mean? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it looks awesome, you know, and when you watch it spin and everything, it looks so dope. So, I mean, it's, it really is about the attention to detail and, and, making cool art. I think also there's a part about it of like making it that person's almost mm-hmm. because if you're if you're looking at it like you're you're trying to buy something or make something you almost make it one of like a personal experience every time even if it is something that you're you're pressing or like making multiple copies of. So I I think that's also really cool that 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 whole like spinning an actual vinyl record is completely different than just press and play on Spotify. And that that experience and just thinking about it, looking at the colors like what you're talking about, that that personal connection is is just so much more there and more prevalent. So I, I really, really like that. The you can kind of picture yourself there, which is way better than everything else. I, I wonder, yeah, and I wonder what kind of nostalgia people will have for these times. Yeah. Like how we have nostalgia for going to the going to the video store and picking it out and begging your parents to rent you two movies instead of one. Smelling the pizza in the back seat, being so excited to know that you're going to go home and you know eat pizza and watch these movies, you know, and, and have fun and you know over the weekend, like that was an experience. Like I, I don't want to like assume anything, but people sitting on their couch and, and flipping through Netflix. I mean, what's that nostalgia going to be like? What are you going to be nostalgic for? Right, like a sitting on your couch and looking at a screen. I mean, that's possible. That could be what you're in a stop because who knows what the future really looks like. Maybe we're all sitting in pods and we have everything inserted into our brain with a chip. Yeah. You know, yeah, I, you're not wrong. You know, not a yeah. potato chip, <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> it, it's, but what, what is that going to look like? Because there was a lot of interaction with your world back then. Yeah. You know, and, and, and even I'm, I'm saying like grocery stores are going to, might not exist in five, 10 years, you know, because it's, it, they're going to automate that. Right. There's going to be people that come to your house and put gas in your car. You know what I mean? Like it's it's just everything's going to become more convenient and more there for you, and it's all going to be subscription based, and it's all going to be like it's all going to be prescribed. And you know, I'm not trying to describe some sort of dystopian future here, but I'm saying these are the leanings of of what we're looking at. And yeah. I wonder what the nostalgia for this moment in time is going to look like, as opposed to nostalgia of records or VHS tapes or actual books. Yeah, no, I I think that's a, a great I think that's a great point because if you think about it. 30 to 40, the, those folks that are in between that age range right now, mm-hmm. those are the ones that remember those experiences. But when you're looking at the adults that are around you, a lot of them are like 20, 25, and their memory is, like what you said, going to be channel surfing, basically, you know, scrolling through all of that stuff and always looking for the next thing rather than securing that moment in time, I feel like. Especially with phones, like I I took Facebook off of my phone like the first or second day of this year because I was just like, I don't want to deal with this anymore. I need to disconnect. And I sell phones for a living, so I, I don't know how that's supposed to work. But that that disconnect is important. Like I'm I'm trying to find that again myself and like being able to appreciate the moments that are around me rather than just staring at a screen the entire time. So I, I think you have a, a great point. And I don't I don't know where that is going to be. Like I don't know what people look forward to reminisce on outside of just like 
a pandemic and like craziness. Yeah. And I think that's our current world. And I think we didn't, you know, when we were like 10 years old going to the video store, we didn't think about like, oh, this is going to be a beautiful memory one day. Right. We were just like, this is awesome. And we love this. Like, this is, <laughs> I love this the weekend, baby. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it's, and of course, like I, I'm not completely a, attached to, you know, I'm not on TikTok or, or right. things like that. So, I mean, I'm on Instagram, obviously, Facebook, Twitter, you know, these are things that I use to connect with friends and, and use for, for lunch meat to help expand it. But I'm sure there's other things that, you know, the people on Discord, there's all kinds of channels, platforms. Yeah. I don't want to discount any of that and say that you can't create, you know, I'm not dissing it. I'm just saying like, you know, I just don't know what that looks like. I don't know what, what the nostalgia will just kind of, I don't know what it's going to, what I, you know, how's it going to take shape? I guess it would just depend on like the next piece of technology, right? So if it's, Mm -hmm. if Mm -hmm. VR really becomes a thing or like augmented reality really becomes a thing, you know, that I think that would be us staring at a computer screen is what is reminiscent of because people will still want like desktop towers rather than the whole virtual reality thing, maybe. Right. Like it's an older, it's an older technology that kind of isn't as complex or yeah. forward. Yeah. Cause I don't see CDs really making a comeback. Oh, they will. Have you, have you looked at eBay? eBay's crazy, dude. There's what? Some, there's some CDs on there going for money. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a market for everything, dude. Capitalism at its finest, right? Yeah. And I mean, you know, people just like retro stuff. I mean, I think we're in the highest time of nostalgia ever because our world is so complicated. Yeah. You know, and, and we, look to, we look to simpler things. And, you know, you think about it, like it was really simple to go, go to the video store and, and rent a few movies and get a pizza and a couple sodas and go back and just spend the evening with your family distraction free other than you're looking at your tube television. Yeah. You know, you're not on your phone distracted. You're not getting a thousand calls. You don't have 10 text messages. You don't have all these alerts. I mean, we live in a very distracted world. I think that's the thing I struggle with the most with my creativity is being distracted. Yeah. So I try to just, you know, tune out and try to not be distracted. I think that's the biggest struggle I have is either finding inspiration or dealing with distraction. I definitely struggle with that as far as like editing, just because I, it's so boring and I don't want to do that. So I try to find any kind of excuse. So like any chirp, I just look at it and be like, oh yeah, I can do this instead of actual work that I have to do. But that that distraction is is a real thing. Like you have to really disconnect from your surroundings almost like disconnect from the grid for a hot second to be able to really focus on what you want to focus on. And I think that's that's the gonna be the harder part is that we're going to have a more difficult time honing in on what we like because there's so many different things out there that are always saying, look at me, look at me, I'm bright over here. Oh yeah. Shiny objects, man. Yeah, for sure. And you know, what I've tried to learn to do is because essentially it's the same thing. Everything's a little bit of an escape, right? When you look into your phone, you're escaping from your reality. When you're texting with someone, you're escaping from your reality. When you're on Instagram, you're on a feed of escapism. You know, you're looking through some, some other window, but if you take that idea and you put it into the art that you're doing, then whether you're a writer, a painter, an editor, whatever you do, an athlete, whatever you do as your art, you are escaping into another place, but you're also not, you're also building while you're, while you're dreaming. Like you're not just dreaming, like you're also building while you're doing. And I think that's what I try to do is, is build while I dream. And I think that that makes it so much more difficult, Yeah, obviously, but also so much more fulfilling, you know? And at the end of the day, I think we forget you know, when you work, you work hard all day or you work on a project all day and like, yeah, it's annoying. It sucks. Like it's, 
it, it frustrates you and it's hard and like you want to be you don't want to be doing it but then at the end of the day you have this finished product and you're like it actually makes you feel good like it's like when you go to the grocery store you might hate grocery shopping but when you come home and your food your fridge is full of food you're like i feel like more secure and like, like a better person because I've done something responsible for myself. Yeah. Like there's, there's like natural feelings. I don't know if that happens to everybody else, but I do. I, feel like <laughs> I always, I always feel much better when I have a bunch of like, you know, I mean, I have tons of food, but you know, I, when I go out and get that re-upped. Yeah. Right. Well, I, I look at it and be like, oh man, that's a lot of work. I'm going to put that stuff away and then go get a burger. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to cook. I don't want to do any of this. Like, <laughs> Totally, I get it. Yeah, you buy the <laughs> you buy the salads, and then they're like, "This is right. so bad," you know. Right. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah. and then you check like eight days later, and we're like, "Oh yeah, that's gross. Let me toss that out. I forgot yeah. I had it in there." Yeah, I'm gonna go get another burger. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> sure, and I mean that's a yeah, that's a, I think everybody struggles with that, you know, and it takes a lot of discipline. Yeah, and I think in order to to you know reach your ambition and, and do what you do, I mean, it takes a lot of discipline. I I applaud people and admire people that can get stuff done. You yeah. Know, because it's, you know, I, I, people tell me that I'm pretty, that I'm really passionate and that I get a lot of stuff done. But I mean, I am never, ever satisfied with how much I'm doing, to be honest with you. I think that I could always be doing more. And I, like I said, it's like finding that balance where like, okay, this is enough for today. Right. You know, tomorrow is another day. I've accomplished what I want to accomplish. I've hit all my checklists and this is going to set me up for success for tomorrow. Because, you know, I could work forever if I wanted to, <laughs> you know, but it's not healthy. It's not good. And also you get burnout and, yep. you know, and I'm my own worst critic. I think a lot of creatives are their own worst critic, you know? Well, it, it also sounds like you have a pretty good structure and you, you found discipline in there to continue to do what you're doing without having it fully take over. Like what you said, you know, this is enough for today. I can get to it a little bit tomorrow. Did you find that early on or was that something that you learned over time for that structure and discipline? Mm, I'm glad it sounds like I have it together. So I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, it's day to day. I mean, sometimes I'm good at it. Sometimes I'm not. Yeah. You know what okay. I mean? And sometimes I'll just like, I'll like procrastinate and everything works up. And then I have like a, a really horrendous day where I have to do so many different things. Yep. And I'm really stressed out. I'm yep. heated up. And, and then other days I'll just sit on the couch and eat cookies and be like, eh. <laughs> You know, I think everybody deals with that. You know what I mean? And I think especially when you have to be a self-starter, when you have your own, you have your own business, yep. you get burnout, you know, you get, you get afraid of the future. Is this going to work? Things like that, because you don't have a guarantee. Like, right. you know what I mean, the stability isn't necessarily there and you have to build your own. It's exciting. It's frightening, but it's also like the most incredible gift to have a chance to do something you really care about. I never take that for granted. So when I'm, when I'm feeling down and I have to get my butt up off the couch, I'm like, dude, you're doing it. Like, you know, you're in your thirties and you have a chance to do something you really care about. Get up and do it. Dude. Yeah. Put the phone, put the phone down, get off Instagram, <laughs> go write, go pack this up and get it to your distro. Like go put this tape together. Like, you know, it's actually, it sounds crazy, but I mean, what's really helped me is speaking things out loud. Okay. Like making, yeah. making, making positive affirmations. Okay. Like just saying stuff like, you know, I'm going to get this done today. I'm going to get this done today. And you say it out loud a couple of times, you know, and, while you're eating dinner or while you're writing a piece, like this piece is going to be great. Like this piece is going to be awesome. And you just say it out loud. And honestly, like it, it helps. I mean, it really does. And I learned that recently just by listening to a YouTube show. I guess it's a podcast on YouTube, but okay. It was kind of one of those like not corny, but like kind of weird self-help things, but man, it really does work. It really does work. Like even like when I go out and exercise, 
like, you know, like as I'll, I'll jog or play tennis with a friend or something. And okay. I'll be like, I'm the best tennis player in Raleigh. <laughs> I'm the best tennis player in Raleigh. And I'll mutter it to myself under my breath and it helps me win. Like, I don't, I don't know if it actually gives me confidence or whatever, but like it, you're putting it out into the world and it works, man. So yeah. Who needs skills when you have positive energy? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, like, you know, it, it's true. It's weird. I like yeah, it. Just, just try it. It's free. Yeah. Well, that, so one of the things that I, I started going to, to therapy recently, and one of the things that stood out to me as far as one of the things that she said was the voice in your head is the loudest of them all. Mm-hmm. So if you have negative thoughts, then you need to balance them and overpower them with positive thoughts. So like if you're able to talk to yourself and be like, you're going to get this done. You have no choice. You need to go do it. And there's another person that's just like, I like the couch today. I think that's a great plan and we should kind of stick with that. But if if that one piece that's like, you're going to get it done, you're going to get it done. And I, I also think to your point, you know, speaking out or writing it, whatever you can do to get it out of your head, that affirmation piece and you see it and you hear it, I think that actually hits just like what you're saying. So if you have that voice inside your head and you can actually get it on the outside in too, I think you're onto something, man. I, I like it. Yeah, it works. I'm telling you. And I mean, just think about it in, an, in a, a reverse sense. Like if you're sitting there like, I can't do this. I'm never going to be able to do this. Yeah. Like, do you think you have a good chance of getting that done? Like, no. Like, and I mean, if you're saying positive things to yourself, like I can do it, I can do it. I mean, it happens in movies. It happens in literature. Like people speak to themselves and, you know, like I said, you can be your own worst critic and, you're, and you don't want to get in your own way. I've done that to myself a lot in my life. I've gotten my own way because I didn't have the, the confidence that I needed, you know, and, and, right. and I've learned over the years that it's really just about being yourself and having confidence and working on your craft and having discipline. And that is the best ticket to success that I could, that I could recommend right now at my age or like my life experience. I love it. What do you think is the biggest thing that you learned about yourself throughout your journey with lunch meat? That being true to yourself is probably the most important thing. Like being, being true to myself, like what I, what I really believe in and speaking out about it and not worrying yeah. what other people think is really important. You know, and that's, you know, cause when I first started doing lunch meat and talk about VHS tapes, like hell, there could be people listening to this podcast now and be like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like who is, what is this dude talking about VHS tapes? Come on, man. That's, that's garbage. You know, imagine how people were saying it when I first started, you know, right. laugh at you, right. you know, and, and, you know, people still laugh at me, man. I don't care. Like it's, 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 it's fun for me. And I think it's, you just have to follow your own path. You have to do your own thing and people will follow you. Not that you, it's about having followers, but it's about like leading somewhere. It's about cutting down the path and doing something different and, and doing it that way. Thing that I've learned the most is like just being yourself is probably the biggest, greatest gift you can give yourself and not being afraid of it and like learning and accepting mistakes and and just like, just really going after what you want, you know, because the other thing will always be there, right? Like the other thing will be there. But I mean, like if, if you see an opportunity, take it. Like it, and even if you fail, at least you tried and you, it doesn't make you a failure. It makes you worthy of trying, you know? And I think like, that's the biggest thing is just keep going for it. Don't stop because the other thing will always be. What do you think keeps you driven to pursue it? Is it that thought of, you know, this is what I want, no matter what. I think it's just in my my makeup. Like this is who I am. <laughs> okay. Like I mean, this is this is what I'm into. I mean, I think it's I love it. It makes me happy. Like VHS happiness isn't just a slogan. Like it's it's really like what I thought of 
Like what, like I want to make a t-shirt. What's it going to say? VHS is happiness. Like, cause this stuff makes me happy. You know, like this stuff is it, happiness is really hard to come by nowadays. And I think like, you know, just being around tapes and filing through them and, you know, watching movies and things like that, you know, it's, it's just makes me happy. You know, it's just like how watching baseball makes some people happy or, or running marathons makes people happy or, you know, eating a burger makes people happy. Right. Like there's things that just connect with your soul. Like they're you. I found my thing. You know, I found my thing that I'm passionate about and that I care about and that it's, it's, it's endless. There's an endless ever flowing stream of it. And I'm really a VH stream and I'm really, <laughs> I'm really thankful for it. So I try to nurture it, you know, I try to nurture it and, and take care of it. I love that. I also love that uh, you can turn VHS into anything. So that- oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can make you can say VH something, or you know, you can VH say anything you you want as long as it starts with an S. That's that's amazing. I <laughs> Man, I've been doing that for years, and I think it annoys some people, but also I think other people like love it. Yeah, know? yeah. It's got like if you didn't have that, that just wouldn't be like part of your charm. Like you got to have it all the time. Yeah, dude. I use it. I use it. You know, I try to be VH selective <laughs> about it. I'm pouring it on now just so I can exemplify a little bit. But Oh, all right. Well, there, there yeah, might be a line. I don't know. I don't know yet. There's definitely a line for everything. <laughs> At some point, it's going to get VH stupid. You know what I mean? So, All right. Yeah. So with that being said, you, I, I think one of the things that, that resonated with me a lot is the building while dreaming. Mm-hmm. What what I think about that is like your goals and aspirations for lunch meat overall, right? Mm-hmm. So what what are some things that you would like to get done with this? Have you thought about the what the future holds for you? Yeah, so I'd love to bring live events back when we're able to do it. I mean, those are the most rewarding things. Is I do this thing called VHS Fest mm-hmm. at Mahoning Drive-in in Lehighton, Pennsylvania, and we get a really nice crowd out there and. Those are the most rewarding because you meet people. Right. You're watching the movies together and you hang out together and you 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 buy tapes and those are, it's just it's a vibe, dude. You feel it and it's like all the culture. It's like a convention. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But with lunch meet more, I want to do. I want to put out. Keep putting out magazines. I want to put out more books focused on VHS culture and VHS aesthetics and things like that that I think are important. I'd love to do more apparel and and have the lifestyle you know visible on people. So people yeah. that help spreads the word, you know what I mean? It's the same reason that bands make t-shirts, right? So they can continue to support what they do and also right. like let people know that there's a community behind it. So I'd love to keep doing that. You got to put more stickers in bathroom stalls then too. Yeah, dude. I mean, if I, if I went use the bathroom in public places, I still do it for sure. <laughs> My buddy, Matt, who I mentioned, was up in New York who helped kickstart everything with, you know, help me that stuff and, uh, uh, he used to make fun of me how many stickers I made because I made so many <laughs> stickers all the time. He's like, what do you got some new stickers? And I'm like, you know it, you know, I got some new stickers, but I think I just want to, you know, keep doing what I'm doing, you know, but just do it on a larger scale, you know, and, and continue to put out cool stuff on VHS tape and, you know, bigger movies and, you know, working with Blockbuster was really rad. Yeah. So a uh, funny story. I tried to, I applied to Blockbuster when I was like 18 <laughs> Okay. and it was, it was a kiosk and you had to fill out a form on a kiosk and they wouldn't hire me. But now I'm putting out, putting out the documentary about the last blockbuster. So what's up blockbuster? What's up dude? <laughs> there can only be one, right? Yeah. This, this is how this works. You, you have to fight them. And then now, now they're no longer a thing. It's okay. You got it. No, nah, I want them to be a thing. I want them to be a thing. And you know, it's, it's, it's just ironic. It's just funny, man. You know, and it, it's, it's just cool. But yeah, I mean, just to keep growing, 
yeah. and take every single opportunity that's there that allows me to spread the culture, you know, like the appreciation, celebration, and preservation of VHS and video store culture, whatever I can do. Because there's new things that pop up in front of you every day, you know, and it's just which ones do you want to do? 